When I was uh, very young, I was uh, with some friends in this um, Boston, famous Boston pub called the Black Rose. And I was sitting there and I said, the only thing missing from this scene is a, is a uh, fist fight. And then 30 seconds later, I kid you not, one broke out. And uh, I, I, I remind you, I was very young. And uh, I had this fleeting thought, I could, I could mediate this. I could step in there and I could kind of get parties to, you know, maybe talk to each other and no. This was not a teachable moment. This was not a teachable moment. Actually, the only time I've actually seen this, I thought it was a movie scene. I mean, I thought there was an actual chair broken over an actual back. This is not a teachable moment. There's a, there's a guy named Friedman who, who writes these little fables, and he puts them in the most powerfully uh, stark um, perspective. He, 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 he takes truth, and he kind of hits you with it. And he's talking about teachable moments or non-teachable moments. And he tells this little parable about a guy who, uh, who uh, announces to his family, hey, y'all, I'm dead. And they said, no, you're not dead. You're breathing and you're talking to us. No, 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 I'm really dead. And, and he tries to convince. And he, he, it's kind of like gaslighting. You know what gaslighting is where you tell somebody, you, you're making them feel crazy because you're telling them what, what, uh, what is obviously true isn't true. And so he's gaslighting them and he's telling them how, um, how he's dead. And he puts the burden of proof on them every time. And so they, they call in this, this doctor and he comes in and he says, um, well, let me ask you this. Um, do, do dead men bleed? He said, no, dead men don't bleed. He said, well, do you mind if I just make a small cut on your arm? I promise I'll, you won't get an infection. I'll treat it and all that kind of thing. And, and then we'll, we'll deal with this once and for all. He said, yeah, go ahead. So he, he makes this little cut and he bleeds. And, uh, and, and the doctor says, well, there we are. And the whole family breathes a big sigh of relief. And everyone's like, okay, all right. So we can bring, restore sanity here. And he says, yeah. The, the man says, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong. <coughs> dead men do bleed. You know, sometimes we are just not in a place where we're teachable. I want you to get that in your head. This is the need that we have. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's you. But when, you, when, when we're talking about the things that matter most and we're looking for ways to connect with people along the lines of the things that really matter most and to be able to share our faith with them or to be able to even to integrate a faith-based perspective into something, have you noticed that sometimes people are resistant to that? I'm asking the obvious question. How do we create teachable moments? How do we get to a place where we can talk about the things that matter most in a way that can really connect with people, where they're ready to receive it? How do we, how do we look for, how do we recognize, how do we create those kinds of openings? By and large, the answer that we're going to explore today is this. We need to get out of the way. From the Word of God, Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Hear God's Word this morning. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? In other words, he's asking, how should I approach God? How, how should I connect with God? 
Should I come to bring a sacrifice? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And here's the answer. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray. Father, bless this word not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts that we may believe it and receive it, that with our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Barna is a research group. His name is George, George Barna, and they do a lot of, of surveys. And uh, A recent survey came, brought back this data that, um, that younger generations think, it, think it's wrong to share their faith with other people. Almost 50% of believing younger generations, people who are in a pattern of, of going to church and they profess Jesus as Lord... They believe it's wrong to share their faith. Now, this, this may be a phase. It may be sort of the age that they're in. But I, I think it's a reflection of the way they've seen it done or maybe the way they haven't seen it done. A lot of times the way that it comes across is, I'm right, you're wrong, you need to believe the way I do. I'm right, you're wrong, shouldn't you feel foolish for being wrong and be like me and be right? And if that's all they've seen, or if that's the conception, or maybe that's the way the survey's question is, we're living in an age where you're constantly embattled with every question, and, and younger generations are right to be exasperated with it. That doesn't mean we don't share our faith. It means how we share it matters. How we share it matters. Uh, some years ago, I, I, I did a pilot group for a, a, men's, uh, a men's ministry. And I got uh, about 15 guys together. And we went through this, uh, this, uh, this study. And that doesn't sound very exciting. But what it, what it was was uh, a, a guy who was teaching in a way that started from a place of relevance. It was really good. I mean, he started from, hey, where am I itching and... Or what am I asking? What questions am I asking? Or, you know, what is something that's burning, a burning question or something that's going on? He started there, and then he took us towards Scripture. Now, to me, that's, I, I love that. I love that whole approach. I love begin with relevance and then show people how Scripture uh, answers these, these burning questions. But they had never seen this before. And they thought that something was amiss. They had grown up in church and they had been used to, here's what the Bible says, now here's how it, it's relevant to us. They were, used to ever, they were used to somebody saying, the Bible says, and then going from there. They were used to the idea that we organize ourselves around this idea that, that, uh, that Scripture is authoritative. Well, it is, and of course, and I hope that, that you all believe that. But if we're going to connect with people who don't, immediately have that same uh, reaction that, and, and, and give that, that, that same respect and credence to the Bible says, then we need to learn to connect with people and then take them towards what the Bible says. 
to get into their moment, to, to, to step into where they live and move and have their being. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we earn the right to be heard? And the answer is by getting out of the way. By getting, because a lot of times what, what's happening is we're using the Bible says and all people can see is us. You see? Even if you're appealing to scripture and you're saying it's scriptural authority that's behind me, this is my trust in this authority. And what people often can't do is get over you. Oh, you believe that, and so I'm supposed to believe that, and I'm a bad person, not like you, because you're a good person because you believe that. And that's where people end up getting stuck. They should not have to uh, be dealing with that. They should not be stuck there. We should get out of the way. That's how we earn the right to be heard. Now, how do we do that? We, are, we do that by doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly. Let's look at it. First, doing justly gets us out of the way. It helps people deal with God. Because it begs the question, why are you doing this good thing, right? So we're talking about World Mission Conference that's coming, right? And there are all these projects around the world that, that do amazing things, right? Bringing fresh, clean water to a village that has never had it before. Doesn't that beg the question, why are you doing this? That's a good thing. See, that gets us out of the way. It gets us out of the way so that people can deal with God and not us. It doesn't mean we don't use words, but it means where do we start? Where do we start? When we start with action, when we start with justice, doing justly, not just doing justice, but doing justly, doing it in a, a just kind of way. Let's talk about it in just a second. Now, first, let me, let me give you a picture of what I'm talking about. Uh, in inviting people to deal with God through our just actions. Inviting people to deal with God and not us through our just actions. What does that look like? Here, here's one way it, it, you can picture it. I have this little uh, set of puzzles. And whenever I go on a mission trip, you know, sometimes I, you know, in, in leading up to that and getting the team ready for it, I offer to the team leader to use these puzzles to help people think about what it'll be like to work alongside other people that we're trying to help. What will it be like? And the way that the puzzle works is there's a square and it's broken into these different pieces, right? And as a group, you're supposed to make, build this square. And there are lots of different pieces. And everyone's doing it around a table, but you can't talk to each other. All right, so you get in the picture? So we're supposed to build this square and it's broken into these different puzzle pieces and we can't talk. Can't talk to each other. You can't take a puzzle piece from somebody else, and you can't make somebody take your puzzle piece, but you can kind of put it out there and offer. You can make co eye contact with them and say, you know, just kind of put this out there and look at their puzzle piece and, and just kind of make suggestions, right? Do you see what, are you starting to get the feel for this? Do you see how different that is to like, hey, look, um, um, blind person, do you see that your puzzle piece fits my puzzle piece? blind person. You know, I mean, that's often how we come across, right? But what does it look like to just sort of make a suggestion in a way that's respectful, that respects their sense of dignity, that respects the fact that you don't know everything and, and, uh, and, and that you're not sort of top-downing this. You're not standing over them saying, you're a bonehead and I'm not. Would you take my puzzle piece and put it together with your puzzle piece? You're just sort of making suggestions. You see, when we do justly, when we, when we lead with actions, with just actions, 
we open up uh, an opportunity for a conversation. We, we begin to beg the question, why are we here? And when they begin to ask that question, why did you all come? Why did you come across the Caribbean? Why did you come across the Atlantic? Why are you here? That's an opening. But to do it and to step in that opening with a great sense of, of the sacred and a great sense of human dignity is, is part of doing justly, not just doing justice, but doing it justly. I have a friend uh, uh, in Chattanooga uh, named Alfred Johnson. He's a pastor, an African-American pastor. And he and I um, got to know each other really well. He, he, he is a uh, pastor of the Church of the Firstborn, and, and we partner with uh, a recovery house. It's a series of three houses, and so people coming off the street are coming out of jail or coming off of addiction. They go to these series of three houses. And, um, and we were down there working on the second house together. Again, side by side, working on this house, common project. Uh, people respect Alfred Johnson. People love Alfred Johnson. People know Alfred Johnson in this area of town. They don't know me, but what I can do is I can bring some of our resources and, and, and help him to help these people. And he was talking to me one time, and he said, you know, you know, the people that we're working alongside, I really appreciate the way that you all come alongside us. He said, because these people have been so down for so long, they think that your ice is colder than their ice. That's their perspective. He said, that's from an old, he said, my, he, Alfred said, my dad used to tell me that, that, that when people would sell ice, right, instead of having, you know, refrigeration, they would you know, use the ice box. So this was like a couple generations old, probably. He said that, that one of the sayings that, that he grew up with was, the white man's ice is not colder. The idea is that, that human dignity needs to be elevated in the way that we do good things. The way we help people needs to elevate people. It needs to recognize that, that sometimes people's circumstances makes them think that they're less than when they're not. And we don't want to help people in a way that perpetuates that lie. We want them to deal with God and not us. So as we point towards missions... This is an adjustment that we need to make, that we're not the people who have it all figured out, who are doing good things for people who don't. We're people who have certain things that we can share, and there is an exchange. Uh, think about how many times people come back from a short-term mission trip, and they say, I, I came back, I feel like I received so much more than I gave. Have you ever heard that? Of course you have. You ever talk to anybody who's been on a short-term mission project? It happens time and time again. This is an exchange. And when we go to do justly, we help people deal with God and not with us. That's what, that's what mission means. Did you know mission means sent, but sent, sent to what? Sent to show. That's what mission means, sent to show. And so, in a way, this text that we read this morning is Micah 6.8. Doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly is, is commentary on what mission is. If we're going to be reconciled to God, the answer to the question is, how am I supposed to be reconciled to God? By doing a bunch of things for him? By sacrificing a thousand rivers of oil? No, he has shown you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly. This is commentary on how we do missions. 
And so the way we do it, the way we do it, we are sent to show. Show what's a reality in our lives. Show what God has done for us. And often as a result, to be shown. To be shown our own poverty. To be shown our own need. Our own greater need for God that sometimes we pave over with all of our creature comforts. So, how do we help people deal with God and not us? Show first, then tell. Do justly. Speak in such a way that can be heard rather than a way that repels people. Second, love mercy. When we, when we love mercy and not sacrifice, when we recognize that grace is the thing that, that made the difference, that changed our hearts. The change of heart was wrought by grace through faith. When we love mercy, then we help people deal with God and not us. It gets out of the way. In other words, it helps people have the sense of conviction of the spirit that they need. And so oftentimes I think if I just turn up the heat a little bit or if I just make a better argument or if I leverage something or if I show somebody that, that I know something that they don't know or if I say, oh, I've already dealt with that. Or, or, I mean, what we're doing is pushing away and, and driving a further wedge. I cannot be the Holy Spirit. You cannot be the Holy Spirit. People need to be convicted of their sin and of their need. We, just as you had to see your need for God, so do others need to see their need for God. Then they will love mercy as you love mercy. And so we have to get out of the way and let, let God deal with them. It reminds me of this. I, I heard somebody quote this one time, uh, this, this play from Arthur Miller, uh, After the Fall. And, and what he says, I'm about to read you a quotation from that play, and what it does is it opens up for us how every person on the face of this earth is dealing with this same question, the same question of what is going to make things right inside of me? What's going to make things right? There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with me. I've seen the dividing light line between good and evil, as Solzhenitsyn says, and it runs through my heart. This is what uh, Arthur Miller, even Arthur Miller, somebody who did not profess to be a Christian, and yet people's own convictions betray what we all know is true. There's something wrong. And we have to get out of the way and help people see that. Here's the quotation. You know, more and more I think that for many years I looked at life as case law. I looked at life as case law. A series of proofs. When you're young, you prove how brave you are. When you get a little older, you prove how smart you are. Then what kind of a good uh, parent you are. Finally, how wise or how powerful, or whatever, a series of proofs. But underlying it all, I see now there was a presumption. What presumption? There's a presumption. That I was moving on an upward path towards some elevation where God knows what I would be 
justified or even condemned. A verdict anyway. Not just this open question of what's going to make things right with me. I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench, that is the judgment bench, was empty. You see, this is where Arthur Miller is coming from. And yet his own words betray what he really believes and that there is baked into each one of us. As Romans 1 says, we have witness from our own nature that there's something deeply flawed and that there's a need. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, we approached you as though God were making his appeal through us. We approached you as though God were making his appeal through us. Do you feel the weight of not just responsibility? I don't want you to feel like sense of like, in a bad way, responsibility. But, but do you see that in that moment that God has a role in the conversations that you're having with people who are living far from God or living in a way that you know is bad for them? But you can't seem to reach them. You can't seem to get to them and you can't seem to connect with them and you, you can't seem to convince them and, and you can't seem to get any kind of response from them and you keep pushing them away and pushing them away and pushing them away. Do you see that God must have a role and that we need to get out of the way. Sometimes there must be a conviction of the Spirit. You know, it, it kills me sometimes when I've, I've said something to my kids, for example, over and over again. I've said it in clever ways too, yeah, right. And I've said it in all kinds of ways that there's, it's undeniable that of course they're gonna, they're gonna rise up and call me blessed because I've revealed this, this wonderful wise, you know, truth to them or something like that. And they just, they, they'll come home and they'll say, hey, you know, I was listening to this person and they just said this and it was something that I'd said a hundred times and it just made so much sense to me. It was like, it was so good and it was so funny and witty and it was so, uh, and it was great. I loved it. And you know, for the first time, I really understood what he was talking about. And I'm just going, I'm just shaking my head going, oh my gosh, I'd said that so many times. But who's saying it? Sometimes I'm in the way. Even I'm between my kids and God in the way that I function. I think that I can do the role of the Holy Spirit. We all need to deal with God, and His Spirit is the one that brings us a sense of our need for His mercy. It's the Spirit that must be at work. We have to get out of the way. It's a little like this. I mean, if, if you know that somebody has some symptoms of something that you think is kind of scary, right? And they don't want to go to the hospital. Uh, but you finally, you finally kind of get out of the way enough and you take them to the hospital and there's a really very scary diagnosis. We don't stand there and say, see, I told you. Right? Would we? But so often, that's our attitude towards other people. When they believe something, we don't believe. We feel threatened. Don't be threatened when somebody rejects gravity, right? I mean, if somebody says, I just don't believe in gravity, right? Oh, okay. Where's the compassion? 
We need to get out of the way so that people can deal with God and not us, so that they can see their need. The need opens up in them, and it's personalized, and they know they need grace. Finally, this. Do justly. That gets us out of the way. People ask the question, why are you here? Love mercy. Get out of the way. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in other people's lives. Don't do the work of the Spirit, right? Let the conviction of the Spirit bring that sense of need. And finally, walk humbly, walk humbly. It gets us out of the way and helps people deal with God and not us. Walk humbly. Um, a friend of mine, some years ago, I made this, this claim that just was not right. It was just, just dumb, okay? So I know it's hard for you to believe. But I made this claim, and... And, she, and, and then I started walking it back, right? I started saying, well, it's kind of like, and then I started just kind of, and she recognized what I was doing, and she said, you're doing the backstroke. And she just started backstroking. It was the first time I had heard everybody say that. I said, so, so I'm sitting here, and I'm laughing so hard because she said, you're doing the backstroke. It's like, we all do this, right? We, we, we kind of take too hard of a position on something, and then we realize that, that somebody just busted us or outed us, and we start trying to walk it back. And she said, you're doing the backstroke. She, she just starts doing the backstroke. That was such a kind and humble way of saying you're an idiot. I loved it. <laughs> you know, Paul gets out of the way in this, in this sense. Paul, Paul in, on the sermon, uh, it's called the Mars Hill Sermon in Acts chapter 17, he, he's talking to the Areopagus, and these are proud people. These are the people who, this is the brain trust of, of, of civilization in that area. These are the people who were the heads of, uh, of, of the religious and political and economic structures of the day, the Areopagus. They were in charge in Athens. And Paul steps in and he walks down uh, the street, and he sees all these idols. And what does he do? Does he wag his finger and say, you people are confused? No. He sees an opening. He gets out of the way. He sees an opportunity. He says, you know, I noticed that in all of these, these different religious symbols that there was one that says to an unknown God. And he says, let's, let's talk about that. Because that's the God I want to talk to you about. This is the God that, that, we sh that, that all other gods are one day going to bow to, that you don't know yet, but I want, to, I, want to try to, I want to talk to you about him. Because God has revealed himself in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's done something on our behalf, and he goes on to share what it's like. And then he says this. He says, he says as your own poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being. What's he doing? Is he quoting scripture? Think back to the, the pilot uh, men's ministry that I was, that I was uh, beginning and people's reaction. Are we allowed to talk about stuff that's so relevant to us? Are we allowed to start there? Paul does. As your own poets have said. See, if you find truth out there and somebody's already bought into it and somebody's believing it and walking it out, why not start with agreement? Why not start humbly with, this is where I see you and I am not trying to use power, a powerful argument over you. Paul also says to the Corinthians, he says, 
He says, when we came to you, we didn't come with high-minded talk and, and, uh, and, and great philosophy and, and, and powerful arguments. We endeavored to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, there is this confidence that's placed somewhere else. And when we do that, people can pick up on it. People get it. People understand when, when we are approaching them with humility. As Chesterton says, I've, I've quoted this before and I'll quote it again. It's one of my favorite quotations of Chesterton. He says, what we suffer from today is a humility in the wrong place. Humility in the wrong place, he says. Humility has settled on the organ of conviction where it was never meant to be, right? The things that we believe, the truths that we hold, we're not humble about those things. We're not humble about gravity. We don't have any threat when somebody rejects gravity. We don't sit there and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe you don't believe in gravity. He says, our humility has settled on our convictions where it was never meant to be. Man was meant to be humble or doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. Uh, I'm going to throw John MacArthur under the bus. So if you like John MacArthur and you're mad at me, I'm sorry. Um, but, um, but you can still, you know, I mean, he's got a bunch of books out there and maybe you're doing a Bible study or whatever. It's not that everything he does is wrong. But, but I, I, I have to cross swords with this one point of John MacArthur. And I'm really upset about this. John MacArthur has perpetuated the lie that justice and the gospel are two different things. It is so obnoxious to me. This is one of the things that has caused and perpetuated a rift in the church. That there are people who are sort of social justice Christians, and then there are people who are Bible-believing Christians, as though Jesus didn't walk around healing people, for heaven's sakes. Which he did and calls us to do. And so when, when John MacArthur puts out this this, this thing, on, I know this is going out on the web, I don't care. Uh, I'm, I'm really fired up about this. When he puts out on the web a, an entire website devoted to drawing lines between people who are doing justly and people who are loving mercy, that is so incredibly broken. Jesus came for the whole person. Jesus came to bring a kingdom Jesus came to help us understand that we can walk in his ways even though we're broken people. Jesus came so that when we're doing justly in the way we do it, we actually can begin to help the kingdom of God arrive. Jesus came so that when, when we're walking out our faith, that at every layer of human life, not just in terms of what we think and believe, but the way that we operate our businesses, the way that we set up our school system, the way that we... Uh, the, the way that we structure even where we live and how we live, all of these things might reflect the truth and honor and dignity and justice of God. There's not this division, this false division. The gospel speaks into every aspect of human life. And when we do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, what we do is we help people deal with God and not us. We begin to put our confidence in him 
and not in our arguments. We begin to, to point people behind us to his revelation. We stop putting ourselves over other people saying, we've got it and you don't. We come alongside them and say, I can connect with you there because I too have been there. This, this perspective, this framework, doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly, this is what Jesus did because he was full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. Full of grace and truth. As we look down the corridor of this week and, and begin to think about how we're going to recommit ourselves to mission again, consider how do we earn the right to be heard by getting out of the way, letting people deal with God and not us, doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your amazing grace and the ways that it's powerful in us and not just meaningful to us. It's powerful through us and not just meaningful and powerful in us. And so as a church, as First Presbyterian Church, as we consider this annual commitment, this recommitment to being an outward church with these wonderful partners doing amazing things around the world, help us, Lord, to receive it first and to remember that we are a mission. And mission begins right here in our own families. In Jesus' name, amen.